All right. What's up, guys? Welcome uh, to the Always Race Day podcast, new and improved with all this, uh, should we call it a camo checkerboard behind us? What do you think, Josh? It's a checkered flag. It, it is. The bottom one is blurry. I don't know how to fix that right now, and it, it's just going to stay like that for now. I'm still we'll learning how to use this. Uh, we have Donnie Shots on the show today. Uh, get that right out of the way here. It was also blurry for that, but that's okay. Kind of by design. It, the logo shows up a lot better with it. I'm, actually, now that I'm looking at it, that's probably exactly why they did that. So I have the best like friends that work adjacent to our companies, and they just help me out with stuff. So, yeah, um, new era for the show and uh, new ton of new stuff coming in 2024 with Always Race Day. I want to get caught up with stuff first uh, with everything. Um, You're talking about the video version, by the way, yeah. right? Go to, yeah, go to you YouTube. can watch us on YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasts. You know, we're going to have – I got a better app for clipping stuff now. I still have to, like, close every single browser that I have, every tab I have open. And I operate with 25 tabs open, Josh. It is I'm, – I'm right there with you. I'm guilty. Yeah. Nothing will be worse, though, than when Josh and I were at the Jackson Nationals and the N key on my keyboard stopped working. We fought through it. We fought through we it and we made it. We have. Um, no, let's let's get into some racing. Uh, one more thing. We're presented today by the Carlotto Group. Got to say that. Got to give them a shout out. If you're looking for a car, go that way. They will help you out. And we'll get some more creative ads for later this year. I didn't have a lot of time for what I've gone through in the past two and a half weeks. It's been a terrible start to the month year, I guess. I don't know. What do you, it's January 25th already. Yeah. Um, No, but I went, I went to Tulsa, went to the chili bowl. I was only there for three days that I have FOMO no matter where I'm at, because I had, basically I had it from not being in Tulsa the first part of the week and then Hilton Coliseum for Iowa state stuff on Saturday. And I'm sitting there at the chili bowl writing about it. And I'm trying to pay attention. I, I can watch 17 things at once. I'm like thankful that I've been gifted with that talent. I suppose you could say. Uh, I just hate not being at the other one. Always, no matter which one I'm at. If that makes sense to y'all. I feel uh, the same way. I felt the yeah. same way about you and, and the Chili Bowl. Yeah. Well, so I went down the first year, and I'm driving down. It's like five in the morning when I'm leaving, and I'm like three hours in. I'm like, this drive sucks. And I'm listening to, I think Justin Fiedler did a live stream that day and I turned it on and I watched his stuff. He's fantastic. Great, uh, great guy for the sport. Um, some people would, some people are asking me like, oh, you probably think like he's your competitor and you guys like don't like each other and stuff. I've heard that about him, Walker, everybody. And it's like, no, I, I think we should all try to help grow the sport. And I love what they do. Uh, but I'm listening to it and I'm like, someone, he had said like someone wrecked. And I'm going down there, and y'all know good friends with Aaron and Jonathan. And someone wrecks in practice, and I go, I wonder when Aaron was uh, supposed to go out. And about 35 seconds later, he's like, ah, it looks like that's Aaron and Jonathan uh, sitting upside down in turn three. And I'm like, God. And I was just really overwhelmed because I had never been there before. I'm going to cover this thing for seven days in a row. I, my back is jacked up from the only three days I was there, and I think I got like a half case of the Chili Bowl flu, so – you know, I, I was a little prepared for that, but like I was overwhelmed. Yeah, my first year. yeah that too. Um, but yeah, this year well, I had some, I had so much more, uh, so much more fun just encompassing the whole week and 
you know, seeing stuff go on and, and getting to catch up with people, uh, especially the people I met there my first year going. So that that was really cool. And uh, what do you think? Logan CV won. Obviously, the uh, the A main was a little anticlimactic, but I thought uh, I thought the favorite probably won there. You know, he uh, the the race probably could have been a little bit more exciting. You know, with with the way that the track worked out, but I think that's always going to be an issue um, or, or something that could come into play when you're talking about that long of a race. And I, I thought that the the program moved a, a heck of a lot better this year. I don't know if that had anything to do with flow covering it all or what have you, but they I thought it was a great week. all last year too, right? Yeah, but no map TV. So you didn't have any TV windows or anything like that to, to try to fill if you're, but was it, you know, was it still on it, map last? In it was last year, but not this year. I guess. God, I could have sworn it was okay. That makes sense. Um, it sounds yeah. like that might change because uh, I, I believe it was Emmett Hahn said in his um, press conference before everything kind of got going that that they are looking at TV partners. But um, I mean, it it was another great chili bowl. I thought you know the prelims pretty much all of them had really exciting nights and features. And um, like I said, you you can't please everybody on, on Saturday night when you have that long of a race. And maybe that's something we could talk about too. Um, but overall, I thought, I thought it was another successful weekend. No. Yeah. I think we should get into that. Um, let, well, let's do it now. No use of going chronologically. We're kind of recapping the big moments from the last month or so we took a hiatus. I had signing day stuff and like just a ton of things culminating at one time. And I was like, guys, I don't want to half-ass the podcast product and just put out bad shows. So um, don't worry. That's, that's not going to be a normal thing that happens. We're, we're flattened back now. Uh, I hope getting Donnie shots on here to kick off the new season is indicative of that. Um, but if you do have questions, if you want, like my take, we're going to talk about the Lincoln flag stuff in a sec. Um, if you want, like send in your questions anytime and we'll, we'll read them. I, I can't promise a dedicated segment, but we will read everything. So um, maybe we should do a show like that. At always race day on X, always race day on Facebook. Yeah, any anytime, anytime. Oh, and our Facebook messages were not like reaching my stuff at all. So I have like 15 people I need to respond to. Yeah. It's a fantastic, fantastic app, if you know what I mean. But uh no, the Kyle Larson's um notepad screenshot that he tweeted out, you know, we want to change the format. We want to I love it when racers do that because people do really care what they think. Um, Donnie was talking about it in his interview. He's like, I don't really care. I don't know why people care what I say. And it's, they, they respect what they think, obviously, because they want to make the sport better, but you know, they respect you. And at the end of the day, we got to listen to the drivers at least a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know exactly how I would do it, but I, I would like to see the format change a little bit so that there's less races on Saturday in the only thing I can't get past is I, there, I, there's a contention of people that are going to be, well, if, if the P main isn't on Saturday, it's not the same. And I, I'm just going to argue it is the same. It's the exact same. The building is still there. The lights are still turned on. I, I guess there's daylight instead. There's a natural daylight in the building. That's the only thing that's different. But yeah, I, I would like to see it changed just a little bit um, to have less races on Saturday and do something about that track prep. Cause at the end of the day, you can have a kick-ass week and get to the end. And if you have a rubber down racetrack, it ruins everyone's um, 
perception. It's the last memory. It's the last memory yeah. people have. It's of, the, well, of it's the, the only memory that you're going to have of the race because that is the race, right? I, yeah. I'm a guy that doesn't, you know, if you have boring heat races, I don't care as long as the A-man slaps, right? So yeah. it, it needs to be better. And, I mean, we'll see what they do next year. We'll have to wait a year to find out. But I, I hope they change it. Are you on that same boat? Um, so for one with Kyle's tweet that he put out, I thought that that that's also a, a good way of going about it too. Like just shit talking and, and complaining and not offering any solutions that doesn't help anybody. And, and nobody likes those kinds of people that, that just complain to complain and don't offer their solutions. So I thought that was nice with Kyle. He, he, you know, brought up some good things, some things that he thinks could be worked on. Um, I, I do like the way or the, the reason for the 55 laps, um, in memory of, of Donnie Ray Crawford. Um, we've also seen how well the prelims can be at 30 laps and the, the stress that it puts on, I mean, those workers are working so much during the week. That's a long ass day on Saturday, a lot of racing. And I do think that you could maybe do some format changes to, like you mentioned, if you don't need to have a P or whatever main on, on Saturday, I don't know if you could maybe you know, you, this is a good problem to have because you have hundreds of cars that are wanting to race. Right. So that, that's great that, that, that car counts going up, but this is the problem that you have. You can't race for eight, nine days in a row. You try to condense things as much as you can. And maybe it's larger non-qualifier races or having non-qualifier races. So you get down to maybe an M main or an N or working back to the alphabet, you know what I mean? But yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that I think Kyle brought up a, a lot of really good points. And I think if you maybe cut the day main down just a little bit on Saturday, that, that eases a little, a little bit. If you can maybe get a few less laps on the track on Saturday, it's a cumulative effect that, uh, you know, in the end could maybe keep that rubber away for, for five, six, seven more laps than, than what we've seen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know I've talked to some people, um, I don't know. I don't want to mention who said this. Uh, I don't think, well, it, it was Matt Weaver. I don't think he'll care. Uh, but Matt was, was saying this, it, it always takes rubber. It, it usually does. And like Logan told you, Connor, he knew on the second lap of the race that it was going to take rubber and you have to drive for that. You have to be prepared for that. And then you got to make your move to get to where you need to go. And that's just the end of it. But my, and I'm sitting here, like I, I'm usually devil's advocate because my ideas are really out there sometimes, but <laughs> Jason personally had the best damn night of anybody and he barely got talked about. Yep. Like I, Emerson Axum, like, he's like, yeah, uh, you know, I did. Okay. Uh, went back a little bit. It doesn't really matter. Could have gotten eighth, 12, 15 second. Doesn't matter. You didn't win. And yeah, it was, win. it was very close to like the Ricky Bobby vernacular. <laughs> and I was, so, I was, I was like trying to push him that way. But, uh, yeah, that, it, is what it is. I wish I wish we had a perfect track for 55 laps so we could have seen that play out. And that that's that's where my mind goes. But like Matt is a very big racing purist, and I, I respect whatever the hell goes on in that bald head of his. I love hearing what he has to say about stuff like that. Absolutely. Um I did want to touch on the Messerol thing. That was uh some good uh it was some bad PR to like really good PR. On a very quick, it was a hell of a roller coaster, <laughs> and roller coaster ride. Maybe the people in Tulsa are like, "Well, that's not what happens." Like someone has the call and they they get on the phone and they say, "No, we we can't do this." 
so they kick out Thomas Messerall and like that moment of him getting kicked out and walking out like that was cool is a unique thing very fun to see that play out how it did and then 15 minutes later you're like uh, they're they're just letting Messerall back in um and their reasoning was he punched an official and that was the official reasoning given um i assume by someone from their staff matt had that tweet uh with that and he just didn't punch an official whatsoever did not punch a guy so i i'm just if you're gonna kick someone out and your reason is they punched this person you need to have it on good accounts maybe for the guy that was punched and the people around it uh, cause that knowing how all these cars have up. 15 GoPros on them nowadays too. And yeah, especially team right. as you know, that he's going to have that recorded. Absolutely. Yeah. And they may not like team as down there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how big of a secret that one is. Uh, but yeah. And so they turn around right away and they're like, yeah, let them back in. So they very quickly took a story that could have made them look very bad and said, we're going to, we're going to go fix this. And I, you have to respect especially when people in dirt racing do that, because I feel like we see it a little less than elsewhere um, in things. And the other side of that is it, it the sport is more, more uh, it's more open. There's different things that they do better from a PR standpoint where it's like, you know, you go talk about an injury at Iowa state and they're really buttoned up about it and you're getting no information in four minutes of quotes that say absolutely nothing. So Ton, ton of different things there. Uh, I also talked to Barry Weiss on Friday. That guy is his, if you guys think he's putting on a character, maybe he does it when he's in public or something, but he is like as flashy of a dude as I've ever ran into. <laughs> Go watch that video. It, it's worth a couple of minutes that you got with him. Oh my goodness. He, and I think the mic cut out. Thank God, because I said, <laughs> tell everyone where he can watch the race. And he said, on Mav TV, it's on Mav TV. <laughs> I, I said, I think it's on flow. I, he's like, well, yeah, it's flow racing and Mav TV. And I was like, I know, I don't think it's on Mav at all. He goes, oh, fuck it. That's hilarious. <laughs> Just, he kept getting the funny, go watch the video and pay attention to how close he is to the camera. He kept inching closer to me. And, and he gave you minutes, shit, right? Two minutes in, he goes, why are you getting so close to me? And I'm like, I was like backing up as he was doing it. The whole like I'm like seeing him do this, and yeah, yeah, just a funny, funny dude. Um, Back to the TMS thing though. I thought yeah. you know TMS is is a very polarizing guy. You know, I have my own complaints with with certain things, and you know, have that with with a lot of different people, I guess. Um, but I thought he handled that about as well as you could. You know, it, yeah, going yeah, back his interview on the video, way out. Yeah, I mean, he was I knew he, he really was as classy as he could. Like he could have just tore it down. And with the video that he put out that following Monday, I mean, you could clear as day see that he got, you know, they, they were spraying the, the whatever was leaking out of the car. I mean, clearly that you're not going to be able to see shit or even breathe potentially at that point. And he's trying to get up and out and it whacked somebody. Um, yeah, I was just glad that that got handled as well as it did because it could have been pretty ugly. He's got a big following too. And it, yeah, I, I think the initial handling clearly wasn't the right call, and they they turned that around quickly, and, and both both parties ended up handling it well. Yeah, so well done by them. I can't wait to uh, be back for the 39th next year. 39th, I think, right? I, it's I so weird. I, 
it's like there. the week that I'm at the event, I know the numbers for sure. I, it's easy. I can reference them off the top of my head and then I get, get away and I'm, I'm bad at it again. Um, no. So Aaron Reitzel uh, ends up winning the uh, grand annual sprint car classic uh, down in Australia. Uh, that cushion, did you get a chance to watch that race? I did not, unfortunately. Yeah. That okay. So the top cushion was like as wicked as it gets. They kind of widened the track a little bit. They had a different. They had some things move around. I've talked to some people, and it's not really much space, but it's perceived as more space, a little bit wider. But that cushion takes out Sheldon Hodenschulerly, James McFadden. Um, I don't. Ex- I don't have the names written down. Uh, a few crashes in the a main um going through it and it was just wild to see how well aaron Wrightsell was able to drive in that race and he's performed well down there as well and it, you know he he's had some bad luck in, in some of the bigger races over here and it's cool to see him do well and and represent the usa too um you know that, that there's some tough ass competition down under and uh you know he came out came out on top and you know Congrats to him for sure. Yeah, and uh, I think Callum Williamson's his name. He's uh, he's coming over here and racing a, a little bit this summer. So another uh, Australia Pipeline guy to keep your yep. eye out for. Um, and those guys are always interesting to me. You know, growing up knowing the Madsons and stuff like that, and seeing how that um, went. I really hope Jock Goodyear gets up here. They've guy is as hyped up as it gets. It helped that it, it helps his name is very close to Goodyear. Um, He's got, he's just got a cool name. So I, he got taken out in the prelim stuff, just had a bad points night or something that wasn't set up to make it into the A main, but we'll see. Um, we'll see if anyone else, you know, through the season, if they want to pick someone out of Australia instead. But uh, yeah, I wanted to give Aaron a shout out, especially with uh, the Knoxville connection there and everything like that is a really, really great drive uh, to be able to get that. And I think that's a, Big momentum deal for him, for sure. There's a big race tonight, starting tonight too, um, over there as well um, at Premier Speedway. The uh, the Australian Sprint Car Championship kicks off two nights as well, so um, that should be interesting to see how that goes as well. Is that a three? Is it three days or two? Uh, two days, I believe, because um, it's the what the 26th and 27th gotcha. over there. So yeah, I know Bobby Pierce be- went over to drive um, some supercars. They're not. No, actually, that's a real that's a real series. I was making up a name for these. It's like a it's like a late model and a street stock had a baby. That's what it looks like. But going to New Zealand, I believe. I don't know if it's Australia or New Zealand, but he went over there today. The Lucas we're, we're recording this on Thursday, but it doesn't matter. The Lucas uh, late models kick off their season tonight. Uh, there's some 360 racing at Volusia as well. Uh, I might do an instant reaction video on that. I, I do love season openers and, you know, you can go overreact to whatever you want to there, but if anything happens, I will. And we'll put in this podcast. If there's nothing there, I just didn't do a reaction video. Don't yell at me. Um, that's about all I got. Was there anything that you needed to say, Josh? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, race season's pretty much here. It's, uh, that was a quick winter, long winter, but quick as well. And uh, just glad that uh, things are kicking back off. Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, the things I do need to plug. Knoxville, I know, is 
looking a little lower on car count, even in the 410s, I believe, uh, for their weekly series. I know they're, they've tried to beef up as much as they could with the KRCO and their benefits. I figured I would throw that out there, let everyone know. If you know anyone that's on the fence about it, um, maybe send them, send them uh, Jason Reed's way. Uh, and if you need his contact info, I'm sure he'd be all right if I gave it to you. So, and they have boosted. Uh, they just announced, if like you said, we're recording today, the, the Thursday, the 25th. Bigger purses, um, yeah. They announced a bigger 360 purse, and a couple of weeks ago, um, announced a, a nice increase to the 410 purse. So, um, it's really cool that, that sprint car tracks are doing that, and it's even better or even cooler that you know it's right in our backyard, and and it's cool that uh, you know we get to to witness that pretty much every week in person and. It's nothing but good for the sport. So yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, with with the changing of the sprint car scene in in the U.S. with high limit, world of outlaws, all that, that that yeah, doesn't 20, affect 29, 29 touring sprint cars. Not, and you could argue full time teams or whatever. I get what people are trying to say when they brought that up, but there's some of these guys that have attached themselves to high limit would never race a season where they're attached for like 90 weekends. They, ha they have to be at the yeah. track every weekend or at this place every weekend. So it, it is a much easier task to bring drivers in when you're, Hey, here's this many off weekends. You know, every time the outlaws are at Knoxville, we take the weekend off too. stuff like that. So I think it's going to be really interesting still. It has not um, killed the sport yet. As some people told me that it would, uh, but I guess we'll wait another month and see if it's still around then. Well, you know, with no Not flag really. man, no flag man at Lincoln. That might oh, we uh, didn't be talk about that. Oh, yeah. No, we do need to talk about that. Thank you. Um, so Lincoln Speedway track up in Pennsylvania is going to a uh, not virtual. Is it virtual if it's just lights? Are those virtual? Yeah. A me uh, yeah. Mechanical or yeah. Automated. Just, I don't know. Automated is probably a good, but I don't think it's automated because someone's pushing the button. No, it's right? controlled by the tower, but yeah, it's a digital, a digital flagger. Digital, that's I, what I, I wanted. That, that they're going to have flaggers in the infield too, and I definitely, I have thoughts to, on this because I, I remember being the kid in the in the stands at Knoxville, you know, watching Doug Clark all my life, and shit, I was, I had my flags, and I know I had buddies that had flags as well. Um, so that there's definitely nostalgia there, and there are the sprint car and dirt racing community is, is trying to pull in, you know, new young fans as well. And there are, there's definitely that segment of probably older or nostalgic, you know, nostalgic fans that, that hate to see that go away. And I, I feel that because I was that kid that was doing that at one point. There's um, still kids also, that go around and do that. The, yep. And it's cool. And I mean, they can still do that. Um, but I think that you do at a point, you do need to embrace technology and things do need to change sometimes. And, and you've seen, I, I think it's been good that you've seen that Knoxville that um, they've gone to uh, where you have to have helmets on the flag stand. I think that's a good safety thing because Justin Clark has been hit by debris in the past and, and knocked down. So um, you don't want to see people put in danger. Um, you know, well, I, I think the that's day. the big, I, sorry, and sorry to cut you off at the end of it, no, um, but I think that's the big reason that they're going away from that. I, I think people get yeah. lost in like, they're just trying to replace jobs to pay people less and cut, cut budgets. And like, yes, companies do that. We see it in journalism. We're not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not blind to that at all. And there's that rich history. Uh, I know how much the Clark family means to people around Knoxville uh, and just, you know, learning about them and learning about um, kind of everything 
uh, with them and everything about, you know, how much a flagman can really uh, have an impact on the sport. And it, it's, it isn't great at all that it's going away, but I think the reason being is in, I talked to a very smart person um, and I won't mention his name because I will butcher the quote if I do, but he said the number one thing that race cars are good at is proving that no matter where you don't think a race car can end up, it will end up there. And you talk about safety, you talk about limiting, you know, you talk about protecting and being proactive about things. These cars have big wings on them. We have seen them flip very high. No matter where you put it, I've seen, you know, do you know how many races we had last year where people are like, is the flag stand really in that spot? Like that close to this and stuff like that. And it used to be over the track at Knoxville. And there was an unfortunate accident where a car hit it and um, severely injured a person that, that was yeah, a flagger. And thankfully that's not the case anywhere else now. But if you think about it with a clear head, if you have a big board that is, you know, in the driver's clear view, that is a bright ass light that's green, and then it goes bright white, and then whatever it does for a checkered flag. You probably don't have the Rico. You probably don't have the Rico issue yeah. that, that you had last year at high limit. I speaking of Ayrton, I saw that he he commented on it that you know there's nothing better than than driving under the checkered flag when they're flying it, and I get that. I I mean that makes total sense, and. At the same time, you you can also see where if you you still have like corner flaggers, I think I saw like I said that, that that's going to be at Lincoln, um, and just having something because most of these places the race director is telling them what flag to throw. So back in the day, the flagman had a lot lot more input into the race direction, and that's not really the case now. Like if you look at High Limit and World of Outlaws, you know they're being run by the trucks or the you know the booth, whatever you right. want to call it. So. Um, well, and you gotta, you gotta embrace things and evolve. No, you're good with the, with the lights going around the track with caution lights and stuff like that. You could easily make them turn blue and have mm-hmm. that signify the leader has crossed the line. You, the next time you cross the line, your race is over and that alleviates all the flag issues. I don't know yeah. how easy it is to get every light in there to turn blue. I, you might need to even add another bulb to it. It might not be possible whatsoever, but that was, it's an idea I've had. I don't, I don't know if those lights can even turn that color. So I mean, with I, LEDs now, I mean, you can shed, you can make them turn whatever color, but you know, yeah. having, having the lights, having the receivers or the radios in the car, having infield flaggers. I mean, now yet you're looking at three points of failure. Um, to, if, if those all go out, then you're in a big problem. You're having a big problem anyway, even <laughs> if you have problems. a real flagman. So absolutely. That, that's my thought. No, that was awesome. Uh, I think, um, Keep an eye on our feed. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube. Uh, everything that you hear on Spotify or Apple, if you listen there, it goes on our YouTube channel. Um, every interview we do goes on our YouTube channel. We're revamping the website with Caleb's help. He's really taking the lead on helping us out with that stuff. Uh, and I'm excited for that. And then uh, Chris and Gio are doing a weekly show. Uh, Gio Selzy, uh, driver of the KCP number 18 in the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series. Uh, you guys gotta watch that he is gonna be awesome he's a fun mind like just a dude to pick and i I know they're gonna be fantastic on there um and i've i've got one more in the books i want to keep you guys guessing uh in in a funny twist chris is doing a show with a sprint car driver 
and I'm, I'm doing a show with a late model driver. So it is not Bobby Pierce. Um, who else have we had on here for late models? It's not Ricky Wise. Ricky. There is a there is a clue in my tweets, but I've tweeted probably two thousand times since the clue. <laughs> so you can find it if you'd like. Uh, we'll announce it when we settle on a name and have all the stuff ready to go. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm really excited for uh, what we're doing this year, and uh, hopefully we can have some more parties with all the uh, big races around the state of Iowa with all you guys. So thank you oh, yeah. so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, and yeah, without delaying it anymore, uh, here's Donnie Shots. All right, guys, let's get into it. I'm uh, now joined uh, here on the Always Race Day podcast by probably one of the uh, most legendary drivers we'll ever have on one of these. It's a 10-time World of Outlaws champ and 11-time uh, Knoxville Nationals champion, Donnie Schatz. Donnie, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. How's it going? It's going good. How the uh, how did the off season treat you? Are you ready to get out to Volusia? Yeah, off season was um, you know like no other that I've had. Uh, you know, we had didn't have much winter in North Dakota really, and um, got a lot of things done, a lot of things organized. Uh, seems like uh, as life changes, just keeping up with the organizational changes, trying to stay in front of things is um, quite a challenge and this winter played a great part in that uh i was able to get caught up on a lot of things just um doing the finishing touches here on the merchandise rig today and uh hopefully get it on the road here this weekend so uh we don't get stuck in any weather or, or get uh anything going that way is uh we have a new uh new person taking the merchandise truck so give them a little extra time to get there for sure. Obviously, uh, on the heels of one of the most interesting off seasons, I think we've seen in sprint car racing. What do you make of uh, the whole, you know, process of the off season high limit coming together and, and what that did? What what do you make of uh, kind of that new faucet of uh, the national sprint car industry with two national tours out there? Oh, I don't know. You know, it. it, it I've said it, I've been asked this a million times and um, since the day I was five years old and, and started racing sprint cars, uh, the only thing I knew was world of outlaws. If you wanted to be the best, you had to race with the best. And, um, you know, we're, that hasn't changed. So I'm not sure why it is, uh, I have to be the, the voice to answer, um, you know, what direction the sprint car world's going. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, we can all have opinions. We can all have, uh, this and that, um, we've seen a lot of things happen in my 28 years in the sport. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having competition. That's what's driven, you know, the world of outlaws, what it is, is having the most competitive drivers uh, and having the most amount of them. And now you, you just happen to have it, you know, in, in multiple facets. So, uh, but you also see things that, that happen day in, day out um, in the sport. And when you see, someone come up to the world of outlaws and say, uh, you need to do this. You need to do that. Uh, what's the world of outlaws supposed to do? Say, uh, when they, someone tells you to jump, are they just supposed to say how high? I mean, that's just the, the reality of it. So, um, you know, from, from being a, coming from a family, uh, on team background, I understand that. I mean, you know, the, everyone has a different opinion on what happens day in, day out. Um, everyone has a different vision as to what happens day in, day out. So um, not everyone's going to agree uh, on the direction. Not everyone's going to agree on uh, the current situation. So 
you just have to you have to go with it and and like i said i'm going to do the same thing i've done for the last 20 plus years and 28 i think is what it is and and uh go race with the series that uh as a kid i i dreamed of being a part of and um you know had a very good career in it and i'm still here with it so uh, we'll make the best of it yeah and i think uh too many people not i shouldn't say too many but i think everyone wants to hear what donnie shots thinks just because of what you've given to the sport and also how many things you've seen you know every day uh growing up and, and making a career out of it like you have i think a lot of people uh really respect that aspect of it um but as far as you put out shirts too that said uh forever an outlaw and i thought that was kind of a, a nice touch on you know the bookend of the Donnie decision, quote unquote, however close that got. Um, but was that a big part of, you know, you want to stay with the outlaws and, and keep that tradition that you built your name there and they've kind of built their name a little bit off of your career too. Well, like I said earlier, as a, as a young man, you know, the only, the only game in town was, was the world of outlaws at a national level. And, you know, that's what I was raised under. And, you know, you're young enough, you probably don't even know who Ted Johnson is. I'm sure you've heard the name, but, um, you know, Ted Johnson is someone that, that I looked up to. He was the founder of the Outlaws, and um, a lot of people that bring his name up, you know, the in the racing world, some people have mixed emotions about that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it, being someone that, that um, raced under Ted, Ted wasn't the guy that just – he just wanted people there. He wanted quality cars. He wanted – he pushed you. Um, you know, I remember nights he'd come and grab me and say, you got to get your head out of your ass. You got to get going. Uh, you know, uh, that's just how he was. He was a, he was a motivator. He was a, he was a huge race fan and he wanted to ultimately see a great race every night. So, you know, it, obviously the series has changed since Ted it's, you know, it's in things we never thought we'd see it's streamed live every night we race. There's uh events and things that fans are doing now that we never seen coming so obviously there's come change and um there's nothing wrong with that but you you have to change with it but yet you don't want to lose the core values of what got here what got us here and i think that that unfortunately in today's environment that's one thing that gets overlooked all the time is is people didn't get to to race against ted and understand how he worked or how he thought so they just think that they're their knee-jerk reactions to what they think is the best is is what needs to go on day in, day out. And, um, you know, I alluded to this earlier. I've, I've seen guys go complain to the outlaw trailer every night, day in, day out. Um, it, there's, it's normally the same guys, day in, day out. And they've, they've gotten changes they've wanted. And, um, you know, now we're asking these questions as to was it – should we have done that? Shouldn't we have done that? I guess that's just something that the world of outlaws has to do is, is uh, make the best decision at the time and, um, and go with it. And if they make a mistake, well, they have to adjust to it. So um, honestly, right now is a great time in sprint car racing. It, it, the sports exploded. Um, there's lots of, like I said, the streaming coverage is, is insane. Um, but we also lose sight from time to time of the fact that if there's no races at racetracks across the country from the local level, we don't have local cars. We don't have uh, promoters putting these shows on. We don't have the ability to stream it. So, um, you know, sometimes the left hand loses sight of what the right hand does. And, um, you know, they're both connected to the same body. So um, in doing that, I, you know, I, I feel like uh, guys like me have to kind of stand for 
the values, what got us here with, with Ted's vision. And, and um, obviously that's, you know, what, what I've had instilled in me from my father and, and, and my upbringing. And, um, you know, I'm, it's, it's a no brainer for me. So uh, being able to do a forever outlaw t-shirts was, was pretty cool. Um, you know, quite a few of them went out the door right away and, and there's a lot of loyalty um, that I was raised on in a lot of things. I mean, I've run the same race cars since 2000. You know, we've used a lot of the same products. You know, I've worn Bell Racing helmets since the day I started. Um, it, it, there's just a lot of things that it, once you, you know, loyalty is something that, that holds strong. So um, I guess it's, it'd be pretty hard to break the loyalty to me. For sure. And I, I know a lot of people might view it as a disadvantage. And at one point in my career, I did too. Uh, but I didn't really know what the world of outlaws was until about 2013 or so. So I've kind of like watched this sport grow over the past decade and not knowing that much about it has allowed me to really take in what I'm seeing and take it in, in a time space where there's, you know, how, how many people do you know that just 13, everyone you're kind of talking to, uh, or I'm kind of talking to at least, uh, is telling me stories of Ted Johnson and stuff like that. And, you know, things I missed growing up. And I, I wish I was around to see some of it, but the great thing is we can go back and watch. But the unique thing is I, I think the sport's grown so much in that decade, and I, I've watched it really, like, catch its legs and, and jump for the moon uh, over the last 10 years. Did you do you kind of have the same reactions, I guess, or same uh, evaluation of how, how much it's grown over the past 10 years? You know, one thing that... Um you can look at this a, a couple of different ways. You know, there's, there's the business side of this. That's huge. Um, there's the racing side of this. I've been very fortunate um, in the way, you know, I've been a part of it is, yeah, you're always, you, you always think about the business side, but ultimately when you race with the world of outlaws, you're focused on your, your, your part. I, I'm focused on my part as a driver, giving feedback to the guys, making things better. So when you walk in the gate every night at every race, you're, really focused on on doing your job and, and doing those things 100% right in, in the series is you got to let them do their job. You got to let, you know, those guys uh, dictate what's going on. You can't stand back there and complain about everything that comes along and you don't like this and you don't like that. You get too caught up in those things. So um, I, I really liked it, you know, the been very fortunate to be able to just focus on, on what it is I need to do and, um, you know, not get wrapped up in, trying to dictate what happens here, how the track plays out or, or this or that. And, um, you know, that's something that uh, when you, when you probably have a little tunnel vision towards your performance and what happens, you, uh, you know, you lose sight of some of those things or you, you probably don't pay enough attention. And I think it's pretty clear that a lot of people are paying more attention every day to, you know, these big purses and all these things. But um, I, I can tell you, um, it, it all has to make sense on paper at the end of the day on everything we do, not just from a team standpoint or a driver standpoint or a car owner standpoint. It has to make sense for the promoter putting on the show. It has to make sense for the series. And um, I know how to balance my checkbook. And I can tell you some days I wonder how some of these events are able to pay what they do pay. And, and it, and it does, and it makes sense. Um, it, it's baffling to me some days that maybe it's accelerated at, too great of a level. Um, maybe it's, it's jumped, um, jumped outside its britches just a little bit too much, but, um, that's just my opinion. Um, sometimes if, if something doesn't make the most sense to you financially, 
Um, I guess you have to ask that question, does it? Or where, where's the, you know, where's this being made up here and there? Because uh, if you operate backwards at all, it, it's only going to be a matter of time before something's got to change in a, in a drastic way. And um, I don't want to see anybody operate backwards. There's, this is still a sport that's predicated on having a lot of local interaction. You know, the outlaws come to town and race against the locals. And, and we're losing a lot of that local interaction across the country with, um, you know, some places don't even have sprint cars and we're kind of being limited more and more all the time as to where we go and the amount of cars you see. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with, you know, the local level and needing to build that and finding ways to build it. I think today's day in sports, too, it's ever I don't think it's ever been tougher to attract new fans to a series, to a new sport. Uh, because of how many entertainment options there are out there and streaming's, you know, taking over in the general public and dirt racing kind of had to jump on it. But now you've got so many streaming platforms out there too. And you're going to ask people to subscribe to one more to come watch your sport. And I think that's a tough, you know, place to go over to that. But um, not and not to put words in your mouth here as well, but we see all these like gigantic two win amounts and you know 185,000 to win or 190 for Knoxville this year and that's a unique event right usually the purse is paid pretty well through the back end but you see more and more tracks and series for their big events going to these massive figures and you know moving money around is that something that you know dirt racing needs to address that you got to pay deeper through the field and we got to figure out a way to advertise without a gigantic you know first place prize you know, um, ob obviously all these teams function on, on financials and, you know, there's, you see a, a race where there's 80 cars. Well, not 80 guys are going to win. One's going to win. And I've said this for, for a long time. If you run first or second at any race, no matter what it pays, you're happy because you know, the pay is going to be decent enough. It, it's always had that structure. So you got to start thinking third through 10th, 10th through 15th and you know you don't want to make it where it's just everybody shows up and gets blue ribbons and trophies but yet um there's more guys not going to win than their guys are going to win and you have to you have to reward the guys that that stick it out and battle it out that know that they're trying to get experience like young guys um rookies people coming out for the first time people don't know what they're getting into not the guys like me that are been seasoned and been here for 28 plus years so um, it, it, you take Knoxville, for instance, and, and I've been very fortunate to win it a lot of times, and, and it's, it's solidified my career in a lot of ways, uh, financially and, and mentally. Um, what's the difference from it paying 175 and 190? I mean, they, the one race that we go to every year that if you run second, it still pays as much as any other race does for win is Knoxville. So really it doesn't change the, it doesn't move the goalposts on the whole event by paying just a little bit more in front, but it's also that race. I think it pays 15,000 to start now, which is huge. That's massive. So um, I guess I, and I hope I'm never that guy that has to focus on what it pays 10th or 12th or 13th, but you never, someone's going to. So you have to make it feasible for them to keep going because everybody's, Expenses have went through the roof two and three times. Um, you know, I, I got a good friend that, that races. That's We call him a battler most days. And um, a lot of nights you think, you know, he, he leaves the racetrack with five or $600 and it cost him 
12 to 1500 to be there that night. And it just kind of puts a lump in your throat as you go, how long can this go on? How long can this last? And so injecting money in, in the backside of um, these races, these big events, I think is what's probably something that should have been addressed. And I think when all this other thing, all these other things started, that was a huge talking point. That was a huge selling point for um, having a, another series is you're, they were going to have all this payoff for, you know, the, the lower tier finishing cars. And um, it, it has come up a little bit, but I don't think it's come up enough to, to warrant that. And uh, it really gets overshadowed by what it does pay to win. And, um, you know, I, I um, take a look at Houston's for instance, and they're 250,000 to win. I know it doesn't make sense on paper. I know it doesn't. It just doesn't. And, but you have to look at it from Todd Quirin's standpoint. He wants to create an event. He wants everybody to come to every racer, every fan. And that's how he's doing it. Um, and it's working. So when he set out to do this, he had a goal in mind and he did it with a huge, the largest payoff in history. And last year's event was huge. And obviously he's going to grow it from there. But that was his goal. He, he had a business plan, which a lot of people don't in this with what's happening. He had a plan that was not one year down the road or two years down the road. It's five and 10 years down the road. And that's something that you don't see. But that's just his business background. So uh, I scratch my head. I know if it was uh, if I was in his shoes and it was my racetrack, there's no way in hell I'd pay 250000 to win. But. He has a goal five and 10 years down the road. He has a business plan for it. So he's building towards that. And obviously it's working and, and um, you know, that's probably something that uh, more tracks are going to have to, to look into. They, they, they only look past, well, what's happening this year? Well, you got to think past this year, next year, the year after. Sometimes it's a, it's a building process. And we've seen that um, with the world of outlaws for a lot of years with, um, you know, SLS promotions used to have 30 events a year and they, some of them took two or three years to get going and they built on it to where they got themselves back on some of the races they lost on. So um, it's, it's pretty neat, uh, unique to see it, but uh, man, the payoffs are, there's a lot of, a lot of great races to win right there right now, but uh, you got to win them to make them work. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we see you in your 27th season last year, you know, still competing at a high level, still winning races, uh, podium at the Knoxville nationals. You're going into season 28. Was there, is there anywhere in the back of your head where you're thinking about retirement at all or the potential, you know, where do you see yourself five to 10 seasons down the road is kind of what I'm asking as well. You know, do you want to stay in the sport as a commentator and be around or are you a guy that, that wants to ride off into the sunset and just enjoy his time? Well, that's a loaded question. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to play into the factor of that, um, you know, I never really, kind of had an end in sight for this. Um, I was very fortunate with the way my father had our businesses structured in the, in the, the small portion that I was part of over the years. Um, he told me to focus on what it is I do. And there'll come a day when I have to step up and, and do the things I need to do um, when he's not around. Uh, he's no longer around. And I've had to step up and, and do those things. And um, I enjoy that. Those things are what's afforded me the the pleasures of being able to get a career in this sport and fund our own team for a long time. And, and now it's about the next generation. You know, I have two nieces that race and they, they really look up to this. Uh, they look up to sprint cars. They look up to late models. They just love dirt racing. And I guess it, it's really hard to put a, uh, a target on where the end is. 
Um, I, I feel physically, mentally, uh, I, I feel like I can be around this for at least another 10 years. I, I don't think I'd try to go till I'm 60, but I'm 46. And I know I can make it to at least 50 or 55. You know, that's maybe if I was going to put a target out there, I'd say 55 would, you know, but it, a lot of it's going to dictate uh, a lot of other things. There's a lot of things going on in our country that are going to change the face of our sport politically. And we can sit here and um, act like that's not a, uh, a factor, but it literally is. Yeah, very much um, is. Yeah. It, you know, you, you hear the talk of all these electric vehicles and going green. Well, uh, if that's uh, what our, our our world agenda is, then obviously is racing with a gas engine or, uh, you know, a, a combustible engine, something that's going to be long term. I mean, I, man, I don't know. Um, and, and I'm since I've, you know, my father's gone away, um, you realize how much um, politics and how our government functions plays a huge part on what our sport is based on because it is entertainment. It's people's expendable money. It's, it's their love. And if they don't have the, the money to spend on it, they're going to shy away from it. And not just from a fan standpoint, which what makes this ball roll, but car runners, um, sponsors, marketing partners, all these people. So it, it's, um, I think we've had years where we've gone in leaps and bounds that way politically. And we've had years where we've, we've stepped back and I know it affects our business in a lot of ways, uh, you know, in the truck stop business, you know, right now, um, if I turn the TV on, I, I hear all these news networks tell me how economy's booming all these things but i'm telling you it's it's not that way in real life things are down for us here 20 percent uh as a whole and, and the way i look at it is everything comes on a truck in this country everything nothing gets from a to b unless it gets on a truck at some point so um that tells me everything's down probably more than 20 percent for the rest of uh rest of the economy so you know it plays a part in in our sport and and that and that has a huge factor on you know, going forward, what happens with, with everyone? Um, you know, I like guess it's going to start limiting teams, how many are out there for this or that. So I, I don't know. Um, at some point I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a commentator by any means, but, um, you know, I do have a vested interest in my nieces and would like to see if, if they have a dream and, and they aspire to do this, that they get an opportunity to at least try it, have a chance. Um, and that's where I'm going to come in because it's it's um, it's probably not going to happen any other way, uh, as it wouldn't have happened for me any other way. If I had to drive for someone other than a family-owned team, I, I don't think I would have been able to get to this point in my career. So um, time will tell. Um, hopefully everything works out and, and um, I can still be around here for another 10 years, hopefully. Yeah, that was really well said. And I, I did want to ask you about Amelia and Layla. Can you say their last name? Is Eisenshank. Eisenshank. Yeah, we, we, it gets pronounced a lot of ways. Eisenshank, Eisenshank. We, I call them e-shots, but uh, Eisenshank is how it's pronounced. And um, so they're, uh, it, it does look a little hard to pr pronounce. What are, what are their plans for this year and how eager are you, you know, not to be there and, and be retired or be away or be a part-time guy, but how eager are you to get, really in their ear and, and coach them more and, and coach them into what you dream that they can be? Well, I've kind of steered clear um, a little bit to this oh. point. I haven't had a, a huge factor on them. Uh, my father did. 
and he did, he got him started on the right foot. Um, some of the fundamentals that, that I was taught, taught, um, he was obviously a lot leaner, easier on him than he was on me, but, uh, that's where I'll come in. Um, you know, they're at, they're 16 now. And I think that's probably the age where, uh, you know, it's time to let them start experiencing and learning. I think sometimes too young, um, just gets you to where you don't really understand things. I mean, uh, I know I was very fortunate to start at 14 in one of these cars and, and, but I think uh, there was a lot of wasted years because I was just confused and, and didn't know, um, you don't mature that well at that age, but I think girls probably mature a little bit faster than men. So huh, I, I'm praying on that, that, that now at 16, they can get out and go, you know, they, I think they're, they're torn as to what, um, they want to do, they, they see, they've gone to the races with me. They've seen the success I've had. They've seen the things. And I think that's something that they have to understand that may, may not happen for them. Uh, may not, they may not get to that point that, you know, they're going to have to work at it because there's a lot of other kids out there that, that understand that they're going to have to work at it. They're going to have to go at it, um, in ways because there's there's a lot of young kids out there racing and they have a lot of talent and, and they have a lot of financial backing so um i don't want them to think that that it's going to come easy for them because it's not they will be severely disappointed if if they believe that and um i think that's something that that um they've probably just been recently introduced to uh you know in real in reality so um i'm doing my best now to, to try to help them you know, capitalize on every moment they get uh, in their races, whether it be sprint cars or late models. You know, I got one that really loves the late models and the other one's uh, wanting to dabble in the late models a little bit. But um, we're trying to put a schedule together where we can uh, allow them to do both. But yet when they go do it, they focus on what it is they do. And it's not like, oh, well, we didn't do good tonight. We're going to go sprint car racing tomorrow because I'm not going to have that. There's too much equipment. It's too hard to keep up. It's too hard to keep uh, not just one of them going but two and multiple cars and multiple different sanctioning organizations and so it's um it's been quite a challenge but um we're having fun with it um you know i i do have like i said i have to be a, a lot better about helping them learn from their mistakes um it's time they started learning um how the cars function and how the cars work in a, in a better manner because ultimately as a driver you're the one that uh, gets to feel it and sometimes you can't describe it or or um, even be able to manipulate unless you change something drastic so I'm um, looking forward to that but um, you know it's it's hard for me when they race on Friday Saturday I'm obviously somewhere else on Friday Saturday but there are a lot of times I get to be around them and I do enjoy that that's awesome I think it's going to be fun to uh, watch their coming up in the sport and everything that goes around it. I got one more and then I'll let you get off here, but uh, thanks again for taking the time. I wanted to ask just Donnie, what moment, I guess it could be a win uh, or any, you know, other type of moment, but what moment from your career do you remember the most today? Uh, there's a lot of moments that, um, uh, that you remember. I mean, some of them stand out more than the other. I know, you know, we used to have open wheel magazine um, was something I look forward to open wheel and speed sport, you know, print media that used to come in the mail. And I remember getting off the school bus looking for it when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just something that you always look forward to. And, you know, we kept them open wheels around the shop and um, 
as I started racing, you never really, you'd see what was on the cover. And, but you never, I was never one that just picked it up and just started reading the articles um, until uh, the, the Ted Johnson article after Ted had passed. And I was reading the article Ted had and, and um, Ted had, they'd asked Ted about his five, five best drivers he ever got, he ever got to see. And I was like number three or four on that list. So to me, that was, uh, that was huge. Um, you know, I, I think that that probably stands out as something that, that meant a lot to me. But when it comes to race wins and, and those things, uh, you know, the Knox, first Knoxville Nationals was huge. Running second so many times, not knowing if you're ever going to do it, that was huge. Um, you know, there's so many things that, that stand out. The, the first win when we, we got the Fords was huge. Uh, winning the first nationals with a forward was there's just a lot of things and it's hard to to categorize one more than the other because you know how hard and how much effort and how much mental toughness it takes for this and um it takes the same that you put in the same amount of work and effort and mental toughness to run last as you do first and so uh, sometimes uh, you just get rewarded for it. So it's hard to, like I said, it's hard to categorize, um, you know, the toughest moments. 300 was big. Um, there's not been as, as many as I like to since that 300 moment, but 300 was big. Um, we struggled for quite a while. It, it kind of seems like milestones if, if kind of slowed us down in some way, shape or form, but um, there's really no more milestones to, <laughs> to, to carry on with. So uh, we can get past- God, man, there's you can't put a number on it. I don't know. I, why stop at 350 if you're going to talk right. about it? Talk, you know what I mean? You just I, I never looked at things in that manner. You, um, it was kind of like you'd get to a certain point, and I remember when we were like 97 wins, and some some of my PR guy said, "You're three wins away from 100." I'm like, "Are you shitting me? I think your calculator's broke." But then you find yourself, and it's taken a while. Once you start thinking about those things, and it kind of slows them down. It it kind of occupies too much space in the back of your mind. So I, I've honestly let those things go by the wayside. And that's why it's hard for me to probably uh, relive some of the better moments uh, when those things happen. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you again, taking the time real quick. Can I get you to say I'm Donnie shots and you're listening to the always race day podcast. I'm Donnie shots and you're listening to the always race day podcast. Awesome. Perfect, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for taking the time. We'll probably, uh, it'll go up Wednesday or Thursday, but I'll tag you guys and everything. I'll let Misha know too ahead of time. Okay. Thanks, Connor. Thanks again. Have a good rest yep. of your day.